Thank you, Londa family. Find rest, O oh my soul, in Christ alone. Did you get a from me? Oh, yes. Pray for Rick Alvar. Rick Alvar is dizzy tonight. He's got a dizzy spell, so we need to pray for Rick Alvar. Let's do that right now. Father, I lift a brick to you, and I pray that you would uh, help heal him with whatever afflictions he's going on uh, physically for him. And again, I thank you that he's a part of our church, and he's getting spiritually stronger and following after you. But we do pray that you would intervene and give him rest and hope and uh, healing in his physical body this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I did get that, and I tucked it away, and it was right there. All right, take your Bibles. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. We're going to begin in verse 17 and work our way down to verse 24. The context, Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 speak about all of our spiritual blessings in Christ. Everything that we have received by trusting Jesus Christ, apart from works, apart from anything that we might do, it is Christ alone. And having been born again and having the Holy Spirit, our response begins in chapter 4 that we're to walk worthy with a mind of an attitude of humility. We're we're walking with humility, gentleness, long-suffering, and we're forbearing with one another, and we're guarding the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're protecting the unity that we have in the church, so we're eager to resolve any conflict. We're working together, living together, loving each other, protecting the unity that here is part of the church. And, and so there's a unity that is part of a healthy church family, but there's also a diversity, and that's the next part. So after talking about unity in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks about diversity and says that Jesus Christ, when he ascended to the heavens and sat at the right hand of the Father, sent the Holy Spirit and distributed spiritual gifts to everybody in the church. So everybody in the church has speaking gifts or serving gifts that we use to build up the whole church. So we don't all have the same kinds of gifts or the same amount of gifts, but we're all working together. I don't have all the spiritual gifts, so I can't accomplish all the ministry. Plus, I don't have the time or the ability or anything to do such. But God requires every part of the church using and operating their spiritual gift to bring health and expansion and growth to the body. And that's kind of where we left off this morning, that every part does its share, that we would build this church up. Remember, there's two responsibilities that you have, two responsibilities as part of the church. Number one, we have got to be teaching one another, both publicly like this and day to day, we need to be teaching one another sound, healthy doctrine. So that we would all come to the unity of the faith. We'd have the same understanding about end times, the same understanding of how the church works, who leads the church, how does the church make decisions, how does the Holy Spirit work, what did Jesus do, who is God the Father, what is the Bible all about, who wrote the Bible, is the Bible true? And we all agree on those big questions. So we're coming together in the unity of the faith. It's a never-ending process until we get to heaven. So the whole time you are alive here at Faith Baptist Church, You and I are going to be striving to grow in unity of the faith, the body of the doctrine, which then leads to growing as a perfect man, the idea of maturity. We're growing in Christ-likeness, in godliness. So out of good, healthy, sound Bible teaching should flow lives that are representative of Christ. We're talking like Christ, acting like Christ, imitating him. We're doing what he would do. We're speaking to the lost like he would. Our whole lives would just reflect and glorify Christ. That's where we we left off in chapter 4, verse 
um, 16. So now, let's begin in verse 17, and let's pray first. And basically, I have every verse or two a, a title or a note that you could make about these verses. So let's pray and ask God to open our mind to this next text. Father, we are so thankful for our study in Ephesians. It is a rich book. It is full of doctrinal truth and a revelation of our spiritual blessings in Christ. But now it's about some bold action, some responsibility that we have because we are your children. We have trusted Christ. We believe him. We have, uh, we have received a new nature. And now you expect us to walk in a different way. So I pray that tonight the text would be opened and illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to our hearts. And this would make a difference. It would make a difference of how we work, of how we interact with one another, how we interact with our neighbors at school when we go back to school. Whatever the case may be, that, that these, these verses would be transformational. And this we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So Ephesians 4 verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this, This I say, therefore, in light of the fact that we have a unity in the church, uh, that we all have one faith, one Lord, one spirit, but there's also a diversity of gifts, and our goal is to grow up into maturity. We want to grow up and be a godly church with sound, healthy doctrine. In light of this, Paul says, verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. Listen, this is not just Paul's desire or wish. This is authoritative This comes directly from the head of our church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17 says that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. All right, let's stop there. Do you see what he's saying? The Apostle Paul is saying this. He's testifying on behalf of the Lord that we should no longer walk like we used to. And then he says we used to walk like the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the unsaved world. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you and you know that your sins have been paid in full, it should flow out of that a life of godliness. We should no longer act and walk and talk like the rest of the world. There should be a marked difference in our behavior, in our likes, in our dislikes, in the things that we partake of and how much we partake of them and things that we watch, places we go. All of that is affected because of placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So we are told we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, which means it's possible for a believer in this church to walk like the Gentiles walk. It really is. It is possible for anybody in this building or anybody hearing my voice to walk like the unsaved world walks. Then Paul now is going to give us a description of how the unsaved walk. He begins by saying this at the end of verse 17. They walk in the futility of their mind. Now, this word futility, it means meaninglessness. In their mind, in you could even think more of the heart. The mind and the heart were really connected in the thinking of, of that day, which would be my intellect, emotion, and will. Really, it's the seat of my affections, and it's the seat of my idolatries. 
Right there, Paul says that for the, for the Gentile, for the unsaved world, their minds are futile. They're meaningless. Same word used in the book of Ecclesiastes. 37 times... 37 times Solomon in, in the book of Ecclesiastes says life under the sun is vanity. It is meaningless. It, it comes up empty. Take your Bibles. Go with me to Ecclesiastes, please, just for a quick review. Because this is how the world, outside of the church, this is how the world operates and lives, and this is how, if you were saved as an adult, like I was, this is how you operated Paul says, no longer operate this way. No longer live this way. Ecclesiastes, beginning in chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's going to, and he's going to talk about how the sun rises, the sun goes down. The wind circles round and round. The water from the river flows into the sea, and it makes no impact in the sea. You agree? Mississippi River flows down in the delta down there uh, in Louisiana. It flows out into the Gulf, and it does not affect the Gulf because the water evaporates, comes up, clouds form, the rain falls again, fills the rivers again. Literally, the river has no impact in the sea. It's just an endless cycle. It, it drifts down, goes into the sea, evaporates, comes up, becomes a cloud, drifts down, goes down. It's just an endless, endless meaningless cycle. And then, then Solomon says that people are like that. People live on earth, they grow, they have their 80, 90 years. I think of Senator John McCain, you know, 81 years. He lived a life, served our country, and now he's dead. And you know what? We remember him now, but... 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now, it'll just be another name and face in history. And, and life just keeps going and going. And literally, if you live that way with only searching for what's under the sun, it comes up empty, meaningless. Then, then Solomon talks about wisdom. So verses 12 through 18 in Ecclesiastes 1, he says he searched for wisdom and knowledge. He learned everything he could about every topic, science, mathematics, languages, history, geography. He learned it all. And after he learned it all, you know what he came up with as the wisest man on earth? It's empty. It gives me nothing. It doesn't satisfy. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no fulfillment. Then in chapter 2, he says, Come now, I will test you with mirth. He says to his heart, Therefore, enjoy pleasure. If knowledge didn't satisfy, he tried pleasure. Listen to what he did. Verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guarding or guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses, plural. Planted myself vineyards, plural. I made myself gardens, many of them, and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself water pools. Would you like to live here? have many houses, many fruit trees, many water pools. Verse 7, I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. He had silver, verse 8, silver and gold and special treasures of kings. He had male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, musical instruments of all kinds. He became so great and he excelled more than anybody before him ever. And when he weighed that all out on the scale, what did it come out as? 
nothing, emptiness, vanity. That is the life of the unsaved world. They are chasing one thing after another, hoping to find the one thing that satisfies, the one thing that will bring some joy, some peace, that will last longer than an eight-hour or ten-hour high or some self-induced drug scene or some TV show or some shopping trip or some vacation. It just comes up empty. Paul says, no longer walk that way in the futility of your mind, where everything just comes up empty. You'll try every type of pleasure, every type of entertainment, just to dull the ache in your lonely heart. Don't do that anymore. Don't live like that. Don't walk like that. Now he's going, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. He's now going to tell us, that's the exhortation. Do you understand? So verse 17 is what I call the exhortation. No longer walk like the unsaved and the futility of their minds. But now he's going to describe what the unsaved people walk like like in verses 18 and 19. Listen to these one phrase heaped upon another. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. So first characteristic of the unsaved world, they have a dark mind. Their understanding is darkened. Satan loves darkness, doesn't he? He loves hiding and darkness and things that are rebellious against, the God, against our God, things that we can hide in our heart or perform in a dark room or drink in a dark bar. I, I just remember playing in all of those different places when I was unsaved. And as soon as the party was over, you know what they did? Flick on the big lights, the big ceiling lights, because as soon as the bright lights penetrated, what did everybody do? Scattered like cockroaches, just disappeared because it was no longer fun. Darkness is fun. And the understanding of the mind without Christ, alienated from Christ, is just darkness. They love darkness. They seek evil. They love things that rebel against our God, things that are dishonest and corrupt. It just, that's part of what they love. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. Listen, everybody. It's not just that they are ignorant about God. The idea, according to Romans 1, compared to this text, they are deliberately rejecting God. They know there's a God. They know there's a designer. They know that somebody is in charge of this world, but they deliberately refuse to acknowledge him. And so over time, and you'll see this in the next part of the text, over time, they reject the Lord, reject the Lord. They don't want anything to do with him. They they don't want him to have any influence in their life. And eventually, God turns them over for their uh, their own hardened, deceitful hearts. And then, listen, he lets them live unrestrained. Isn't that amazing? You have people who are unsaved, who are moral, that are being restrained just from their own conscience. They know certain things are bad, but if they do them enough, they become so hardened that God just gives them over, and then now with no restraint, they fall into the depths of sin and wickedness. There are things going on in this world right now that are atrocious, and we could never even be spoken of in in a group like this. But they are being performed and done and sought out and paid for by the billions of dollars every year. But that, so Paul says, don't live like that. Any, no longer walk like the Gentile world in the futility of their mind. Their understanding is darkened because of the ignorance that is in them. Okay, here's the second characteristic of the unsaved. Verse 18, not only do they have a dark mind, 
alienated from God because they're deliberately rejecting him? It says, because of the blindness of their heart. The blindness of their heart. Literally, the hardness of their heart. It's the same word in the Greek for callous. If you, if you, you know, do something repetitively, repetitively, you'll, you'll get a callus on your finger, and now all of a sudden those nerves don't hurt anymore. And you can put a, a pin in your skin, and it, it won't, it won't, you won't even feel it because the nerves are deadened. So the unsaved world, living in rejection of God, seeking their own pleasure, ignorant of God, their minds become dark, and they begin to sin over and over and over until they do it so many times, they're past feeling. They just have a complete hardness of heart. What at one time used to bother them no longer bothers them. I would say this. Be very, very scared if sin no longer bothers you. If you ever come to a point as a believer where when you sin, you are not grieving about it, you are in danger. Because we should be so sensitive to sin that when we sin, it should be like a sword piercing our heart. But I'm afraid that most of the church has so compromised, and I'm talking the believing church, has so compromised their convictions and values. They have so, they have so married the world with the convictions and values that when they sin or when they watch sin, there is no effect on them. They might even just say, well, we're being loving because God is loving. And it does not even affect them. Paul says, don't walk like that. Don't walk where there's no sensitivity to sin. We have to be so sensitive to sin. And then he gives one more description of them in verse 19. Who, being past feeling, so now they have continued this pattern of lust and sin, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over. Notice, who gave themselves over to it? They did. The people did. They have loved their sins so much, they, they just they can't get out of it. They, and they don't get out of it. They have given themselves over to lewdness, self-indulgence, gratifying self, pleasing self. And listen what comes out of it. To work all uncleanness with greediness. Such uncleanness, and then they just have this insatiable desire to do it more and more and more. Isn't it amazing, some of the people that are well-known in public, when they fall into sin and it's put on the TV now, I'm, I'm still shocked. I'm like, how could they think they could get away with it? Right? When you see some of the sin that has now been broadcast in public, I'm like, how did they ever think nobody would, would catch them? You know why? Because they have followed this pattern of the unsaved world. They have ignored God, rejected him so much that they grow callous in their heart and being past feeling, they just give themselves over to lewdness and they think it's going to be okay. It's just one more time, one more time. They they are just, they have this insatiable desire for more lust and sin. And And listen, believers can act like that. So there's a couple of admonitions, and this goes along with the morning text. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. This goes with my morning text, by the way, so that's why I would like to bring it out. 12, I'm sorry, 12 and 13. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, I'm not sure what I said, but it's Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. This is such a warning. Written to believers, the book of Hebrews says this. 
Beware, brethren. Beware. It's like if you're going to fall off a cliff and perish, and there's no railing, and you're headed toward this cliff, like if I don't shout to get your attention, there's something wrong with me. I don't want to just let you stumble off a cliff without any type of severe warning or even some type of rescue. This is a rescue verse. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you. Who's the you? The church, believers. Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. It does not mean you lost your salvation, but you have begun to walk like the unsaved world, and you've now got, you've gotten a pattern of sin. You've, become, you've, turned, you've given yourself over to the lewdness and uncleanness. It says, Beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That is a scary verse. But listen to the next part. How do we rescue? What's the rescue from that verse? Verse 13. But exhort one another daily. By the way, if we exhort one another daily, it's going to require communication. We are going to have to talk to one another. And what are we going to talk about? The gospel, the Bible, the truth. Right? We need to exhort one another how often? Daily. Not monthly. Not semi-monthly, not yearly, not biannually or whatever. It is daily. Some of us need to be spoken to daily. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened. See, there's that word. Be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I've said this over the years. The average life of a Christian, back when I started ministry, was like six to seven years. From the time you got saved to the time you stopped serving was six to seven years. The Barna polls now put that way less than that. Two to three years. You get, if somebody is born again off the streets, they hear the gospel, they respond, they love Jesus, they're excited, they're passionate, they come to church, they're being discipled. Within two to three years, they're back in the world. How many is it, Melissa? I think one in 25 pastors. One in 25 pastors will retire in the ministry. The other 24 will find another job. It's scary. And so that's why, like, like, that's why my warning this morning was we need to speak the truth to one another in love continually. We're always exhorting one another daily. Now, go on over to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at this other text that goes with both of the, all of Ephesians 4. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. And, the writer says, let us, that's the whole group of us, everybody here tonight, and let us consider one another. Oh, what does it mean to consider one another? I would say some, some uh, synonyms for consider one another would be this. Pay attention to one another. Get involved with one another. Speak to one another. Be there. Be present. Be physical. Not be physical, but be physically there. So we need to consider one another. We need to prefer one another and be there. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So my whole purpose for being here tonight is not just as your pastor to fulfill a half-hour preaching duty so I can get my paycheck. My duty tonight is to provoke you, to dig, to prod you, to coach you, to love and good works, 
so that you will bear some eternal fruit that will go out and impact our community. They will hear the gospel. They will believe. They will see authentic Christianity being lived out. Their families will change, and they will grow. And then we go and impact another family, and then they join our little group, and then they join, and then it continues on. And then we're always discipling, evangelizing, discipling, evangelizing. But all of us are doing this. We're all provoking one another for love and good works. If I didn't have you provoking me to love and good works, I would go off and be the most self-indulgent person. Ask Melissa. Whatever I do, it's 110%. I told Melissa, if I was a drinker, if, if I drank alcohol, it would not be like one cup, it would, or whatever it comes in. I have no idea. But what, however you drink it, I mean, I, my personality is, I would be, that would be my whole life. I'd be in the gutter drinking. If I smoked, it would not just be one cigarette, it would be 10 packs a day. I mean, if, like if I go on vacation, it's not one book, it's 20 books. It's just, I, but like whatever I want to do, I want to do all. I want to do it with my whole heart. Right? So here, I, I need you. I need you in the church to provoke me and to stir me up for love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Because if I stop assembling, I lose the accountability. I lose the one-on-one. Con- I lose all the M and M's from the morning message. I lose the M M&M and M contact that I need because I'm not assembling together, as is the manner of some. Some people were actually forsaking the assembly, but exhorting one another. And then listen. What's the next phrase? So much the more as you see the day of Christ approaching. So the closer we get to the rapture. Should we be meeting more often or less often? We are going to need to, to meet more often because the world is getting darker and darker and there's less restraint. There's by far more opportunities to sin now than when I was growing up. Like if I was, when I was growing up, if you wanted to get into pornography or some type of sexual sin like that, I mean, you would have to go to a, a uh, gas station or what? Yeah, you'd have to go to a physical store and I don't think they would have sold me one, but then I wouldn't have known where to look for them. I was just super naive. But today, our young people can, with a click of a button, see all sorts of graphic things, right? And once they fall into that, it just captures their heart and mind. It's a battle for the mind. That's why I titled the message, It's a Battle for the Mind. It is. Notice how the Gentiles walk. The futility of their mind. They're searching for joy and peace, but they have a dark mind. They have a hard heart. And and my third point, a sin-filled life. They've given themselves over to lewdness. It's just a sin-filled life. And Paul says, and God says, don't walk that way. You need to be separate from that. You need to live a separate lifestyle. There's nothing that you should marry the church with. There should be no part where you're married to the church or to the world. You agree? We are to be separate in our in our life. All right. Who's one of the? What's the one of the biggest influences in our country? What what city? Hollywood, right? Everything that flows out of Hollywood goes right into our homes hours a day. Well, maybe not Hollywood only. Now it's like every cable station and stuff. But there is so much influence. And then if you look at what is the amount of influence God's word is producing, versus all that the world is pouring into us. There's a huge battle going on. Huge, huge battle. All right, so we need to gather more and more as the day approaches. Back to Ephesians 4 for the end. This will be the end. But what's the exhortation? No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. 
in the futility of their mind. And then he describes that. It's a dark mind, a hardened heart, and a sin-filled life. You know how Peter said it? Peter said, oh, let me just read it to you. You don't have to go there. Just, it'll save time. Listen to this text in 1 Peter 4. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they, they as the unsaved world, think it strange that you do not run with them. They think it's strange. The, the world thinks it's strange that I, Brian Weida, don't want to run in that whole list of gross, immoral, immoral things. Uh, because listen to this. They, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood. So picture a raging river in the same flood of dissipation. Sewage. Sewer, sewage. You know what sewage is. So picture a flood of sewage. The unsaved world is living in that, going that direction. And then we're on the bank saying, I don't want anything to do with it. And the world says, you're strange. This is fun. <laughs> yeah, it's yuck. Sadly, many believers, many believers go off and live in the Gentile world. But we have not so learned Christ. And here's where I'm going to pick it up next week. We have not learned Christ. Here's the battle. Here's how it's going to work. So let me tell you, so you can study the next text for Sunday. We have this old man, this old man, which is my unregenerate person. Before October 1st, 1993, I was an unsaved man, and I had only unsaved desires. Right? That's my old man. When I was born again, I put off the old man. The old man was crucified with Christ, and I was given a new nature to live by. But the problem is I have this old nature that wars with me. The old nature wars with the Holy Spirit in me, and they fight against each other. The old nature wants me to live in the way the Gentiles, the unsaved world does. And, and, they, and, it, and it appeals. When the unsaved world gets to my flesh, it's, it... it um, What's the word that Paul uses in Romans 7? Um, when, the, when the world hits my old nature, it excites my old nature. It's like my whole old nature quivers with excitement. And my new nature is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not godly. It's not holy. It's not of Christ. So there's this gigantic battle that I have going on, and you do as well, every day. Galatians 5. Right? So the rest of Ephesians 4 says this. It says this. You have put off the old man, and now through the renewing of the mind, put on the power of the new man. So the whole key is the renewing of your mind. So now what Paul's going to do, is, and we're going to spend a couple of weeks on each of these topics. Paul picks certain topics because of the Holy Spirit. He, he starts out, do not lie to one another. Put off lying. So we're going to talk about our speech, our tongue. We're going to look at Proverbs and evaluate our tongue. How much we speak, how much we sin with our tongue. We need to put off lying, and we need to put on, what's the, what's the other side of the line? We need to put on truth-telling. But then he's going to give us the mind change. See, if I just, do it, if I just say, you know what, I'm not going to lie tomorrow. 
I'm just going to tell the truth. I'm going I'm to end up lying tomorrow. I need to have my mind renewed through the Holy Spirit. And, and so he's now going to give me, how does my mind change? Do you know why I'm not to lie to one another? Because we are members of the, one, of the same body. That's why I don't lie to you. Because we are members of the same body. And if my eyes lie to my feet when I'm driving, what happens? Let's say my eyes say, oh, there's no stop sign there. That's just an imagination. And my feet now don't think that there's a stop sign. What happens? I get into an accident, right? Because I'll hit somebody. So when I lie, I affect the whole body. So now, tomorrow, I'm going to be very... And now my, my mind is renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he's going to talk about anger. Do not be angry, um, nor let the sun go down on your anger. Um, so we can't have any sinful anger. But he's going to give us the mind change, nor give any location to the devil. So if I get angry this week with, without just cause, if I'm angry and it's not a righteous angry, I'm giving the devil a location in my life to work a beachhead, to conquer other parts of me. Do I want Satan in my life to, to conquer other parts of me? No way. So when it comes to anger, my anger is going to get diffused through the renewing of my mind and the power of the Holy Spirit. See how that works? Hey, so we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about lying. We're going to talk about work. Uh, we're going to talk about all these relationship things that, because that's what Paul's dealing with, our relationships one with another. And so that's where he's, that's where he's getting all right. So the, the challenge tonight, don't walk like the Gentiles, the unsaved world. Dark heart, no way. Hardened heart, no way. Get soft. Soften your heart. And then a sin-filled life. Don't go there. Right? Let's, let's live separate from sin. Father, I thank you for this exhortation in Ephesians 4 that we didn't learn these things from Christ. We didn't learn how to live in the world and to love the wickedness of the world, the sexual immorality, the violence, the evil that just permeates society, we didn't learn any of that from Christ. We learned that from our own sin nature, from Adam, uh, from the devil, literally. That all just comes from the devil. What we learned from Christ is holiness, goodness, righteousness, kindness, gentleness. Those are things we've learned from Christ. And so now as we begin to just evaluate our speech and our anger and our work and our relationships and our forgiveness, I pray that you would teach us not to be walking like the unsaved world, but to walk in grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then there'll be some radical change in our lives, permanent change. Uh, We're excited, Father, for how this book is, is calling us to act. It's calling us to respond. So thank you for the gospel, which frees us from sin. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability and the power to do these right things. And I pray you'll protect this church this week. Protect all of our families and our children. Uh, we, we, Father, I really, I know that there's a great battle. This world wants their hearts and minds, and we want them protected from the evil of this world. So give us boldness and strength to do that for the glory of Jesus. Amen. And then... Uh,